We are Maria and Nicole. We're two secular homeschooling moms that have been been there, there, done done that. that. Understanding the nuances of advanced coursework can be confusing to some homeschool parents. The truth is that the advanced courses you choose for your child can either save your family money, time, and stress, or set your child up for frustration down the road. Today is the fourth episode in our high school series, and we will be discussing dual credit, dual enrollment, advanced placement, and CLEP testing. And as usual, we want to stress that our podcast is an inclusive space for your everyday parents that are looking for education options. We are not here to convince you to homeschool. Uh, We want to stress that you need to do what works for your child and for your family. Every family is different. Absolutely. And you know your children best. So uh, feel free to take what advice or information you get from here that works for you and chuck the rest. Good morning, Nicole. How's it going? Good morning, Maria. How was your weekend? It was great. It was a beautiful weekend. I am so excited that spring really has sprung. Well, summer has sprung. It was 90 <laughs> degrees yesterday. <laughs> I know, but it's going to be about 50 again. <laughs> That's good. So what'd you do this weekend? Well, all my people were in town for the Taylor Swift concert. Wow. I heard it was a great show. It I was. heard she did three shows. Oh, yeah. They, I just read. In fact, I saved it for a trivia question. I guess she did three shows over three days and had 210,000 people attend, which is uh-huh. like the record-breaking wow. amount for that stadium. Yeah, we didn't make it to the Taylor Swift concert, but we did go to Annie. Oh, fun. The musical. Fun. Out you, at Casa Manana. Yeah, so one of the kids at the theater her agent got her an audition and she was booked and she's been touring with Annie that's awesome and those are paid guild positions right yeah yeah, she's a friend of our kids oh that's so cool nice to have somebody famous it it was a good show yeah it was so good I love Annie it was all but it was Fort Worth traffic so we had to drive in rush hour to da- from Dallas to Fort Worth. And oh, was well, same with, fun. yeah, my kids saw a Friday night show in Arlington. It was also Rangers opening weekend, oh, and yeah, it was, so. like, Yay. insane. Like, everything that was happening in Dallas. There was also the NCAA women's, oh, or gosh. something. There was something oh, basketball yeah. going oh, on yeah. as well. So there were Final tons four. and tons of people LSU. in town. Woo-hoo. I know, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> we have so much to cover today. Whether or not your student is college-bound, dual credit, AP, and CLEP are three of the routes that you may choose to take to maximize your high school experience. If they are college-bound, these are great ways to legitimize a homeschool transcript and get ahead in college. If they are not college-bound, these are still great ways to save time and energy while completing core coursework to meet your high school graduation requirements. In our previous high school series episodes, we've talked about making a four-year plan, choosing core subjects and electives, and how to create high school documentation for your records and for college admissions. If you haven't listened, go back, check them out, or just look over our show notes. We have all of our high school info organized together in its own tab on our website, and it's sure to be helpful to you. So let's go ahead and start with dual credit. The basic definition of dual credit is that your child is awarded both high school and college credit for the same course. You'll sometimes see the term like the dual concurrent enrollment and dual credit used interchangeably. Some people or institutions define dual enrollment as a high school student enrolled in a college level class, but the coursework doesn't meet any high school graduation requirement. Only college credit is earned in that situation. These same institutions may use the term dual credit to designate a student fulfilling high school credit along with college credit. And for homeschool students, the parent is typically the one assigning the actual credit, so the difference in designation really doesn't matter. 
There's even more words, like some are state-specific, that we encountered while researching this episode. There's a lot of them. In our case, we both had students who did dual credit through our local community college, and they called it dual credit, so that's the term that we use. Right, and so nowadays there are tons of options for dual credit classes. There's in-person, there's online, through your local community college, and through other colleges online. There's also classes through various online dual credit programs that are specific for that. We usually suggest starting with your local community colleges. Many states have opportunities for dual credit that are low cost, discounted, or even free. We happen to live in a county that offers it for free if you live in the county. That's awesome for me because that's exactly how we got through it. No cost at all. Mm -hmm. And it's discounted out of county like somebody like you, Nicole. You live out of the county. Right on the border. Right. And it's a significant discount either way to regular university classes. Oh, absolutely. And in-person community college classes are a great option for students who thrive or or maybe would like to experience a classroom setting. While taking classes on a community college campus, they also have access to all the resources like counselors, libraries, academic databases, right. uh, tutoring, stud- we yeah, tutoring study resources mm-hmm. and tutoring, labs. My son's very first dual credit class was a communications news photography course. And as an amateur photographer already, he was totally blown away by all the equipment that was available for them to rent. And it was wasn't even really rent. It was like, turn in your ID and get it for free. And they had like a photo lab with, you know, giant printers and studio backdrops. It was truly amazing. They even have a recording studio I've seen. We haven't explored that. You know, Cameron's really into music and I've talked to him. I'm like, we need to go check that out. What is this available to us? Sasha's taking film class over at Brookhaven and it's got a whole like studio. It's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, all that's available for your students when they take these dual enrollment classes locally. Mm -hmm. Dual credit students also typically have access to clubs and other extracurricular programs that are offered to all the enrolled students. My kids also really enjoyed the vibe of the community college campus. They liked all the different study nook seating and areas. And here the grounds are beautiful. There's a lake and ducks. I think they're oh, yeah. the thunder ducks is their thing. Yep. There's their a one mile walking trail. Like, oh yeah. I walk. Pretty... If I'm only there for a little while and I'm dropping him off for a class and yeah, I'll just yeah. walk around the campus. It's it feels beautiful. like a real college campus like a a grown-up grown-up it is grown-up right (laughs) so often my kids like to do work there and and even when they weren't attending classes like sometimes I would drop them for a few hours if they had one hour class and then they would go after class and go find a little spot and study Yeah. yeah So there may be restrictions or rules about dual credit programs. You need to ensure that your student meets the minimum requirements for dual enrollment in your state. Um, In ours, there is not a technical minimum age, but you do have to confirm your child is at a homeschool level. So, you know, there are like younger kids who obviously do high school level coursework. Yeah, you have to be at the academic level is what they say. Here, we also have to pass a placement test. It's called the TSI, or um, if you have an ACT or SAT score, an appropriate score, uh, you can waive that placement test. You may also be limited to the classes or the amount of hours that your student can take. Our program has a pretty broad scope as long as we have these classes listed on our, they call it the attachment B here. They can take those classes outside the dual credit catalog classes, but they usually cost the regular price. 
Yeah, and a transferring credit to a four-year university can possibly get complicated. So if that is your ultimate goal for pursuing dual credit, you may want to check before your student takes any classes through a dual credit program to ensure that they are earning credits that will count toward their desired major at a future university. Right. Well, one website that's been really helpful is transferology.com. Mm-hmm. Um, they can really help with that. You upload your college and coursework taken and then your desired college, and then it lets you know what percentage may transfer for there. And of course, the desired college admissions department is going to be your go-to source for this information. Some colleges may take core work, but they might require specific courses for your major to be done at their institution. Right. For our family, we strictly used dual credit as a way to satisfy high school requirements for a very good price, which was free. We figured if beyond high school any of the credits transferred, that would be a pure bonus. But, you know, we were really aiming for it just to cover those high school requirements. Fortunately, all of my kids' credits did transfer, and they both had out-of-state, an out-of-state public and an out-of-state private college, but all of those credits did transfer. So it was a huge money saver for us. Typically, when people think about that, they think about only in-state public schools. I didn't even know that that was a possibility until I heard you say that make sure with any of the things that we talk about today that you're assigning high school credit first. You don't want to end up going nuts on credit coursework only to find out you forgot some basic high school graduation requirement. Some of the pros of dual credit may be the variety of classes. In-person classes are great for students who thrive in the classroom setting. I'm a proponent of that. Uh, Some children don't really thrive in person, but I think having that whole college experience and Socrataic method of classroom discussion is super important for them to be critical thinkers. Some kids may prefer to do self-paced work at home and they thrive in that kind of environment. And some have online time plus in person lab so you can kind of do a combination of of the best of both worlds again like we said access to college resources some of the things we mentioned above the counselors libraries academic databases study resources labs clubs and extracurriculars I don't know if they brought this back since COVID but there were all these cool travel study programs that you could join over there remember at one point I looked I was like could we just do college with all of these travel study things where you would go to the Galapagos Islands and you get six credits in environmental science at the community college (laughs) yeah there's a lot of opportunities out there so many so many like just go look at the bulletin board it's probably a virtual bulletin board nowadays but (laughs) things are coming back thankfully I hope so um so another plus uh to dual credit it's a great way to knock out gen ed or core classes my non-mathy kids loved tackling all their college math at home and so uh, it was still kind of fresh in their minds and they never had to do it at their universities right another great bonus is it's a two-for-one you knock out high school and college work at the same time to me that was such a bonus because that was two years of college for free so my daughter is now in college studying biomedical engineering and she immediately went into her major coursework yeah it's great oh and she gets upperclassmen status on everything on dorms and everything even though she's a freshman mentioned that my daughter's in a four-year your program so she's not going to be able to graduate early with all these credits like my son was able to do but it still gives her the priority dorm and priority registration and stuff so it, yeah, it's, it's definitely a worth status it. <laughs> it is it's also a huge time saver a one semester college course is equal to a one-year high school course so it's a great way to stack several semesters worth of work into a smaller time period my kids really loved taking the shorter semester classes like you can really see the light at the end of the tunnel they did a three-week calculation 
calculus course, which to me sounds excruciating. Really was like nine hours of math every day, but it was three weeks and then they were done and calculus was crossed off. Done. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Can you tell that we're both favorites of dual credit and dual enrollment? (laughs) We are. Yeah. But your student must be able to demonstrate college readiness. So that is the kicker there. They must be able to build an academic track record proving that they're capable of college level work and it legitimizes your transcript. Another great benefit is that your student can spread college credits over additional years and that lightens your course load over years later. So, and another thing is that they can learn valuable skills like managing their own time, planning a schedule, prioritizing deadlines. All of those are important skills that they're going to take with them when they move out and go off to a four-year university or wherever in the workplace. Right, and it's nice that they're figuring that out while they're under your roof so that you can lend a hand too. Yeah. They also learn how to communicate with professors and I cannot tell you how many freshmen my kids have met at college who do not have the skill at all. I encouraged my kids to go to any of the professors like advertised open hours and study classes that were offered and it was funny because they were often like the only ones that would show up yeah. to that. Same thing with Riley. Which was cool because they developed like a personal relationship with these professors. It's great if you can't make class for a certain reason like the professors understand because they know you and they know what kind of student you are and uh, it also made it so that we had no shortage of reference letters and other opportunities provided because they had all this face-to-face time right and when you're on the cusp of a grade between a c and a b guess what that professor that knows you personally they're gonna bump you to a b right they know that you (laughs) are trying and doing that work it's awesome Another thing that it allows you to do is interest-led learning. Dual credit is a great way to experience classes that maybe mom isn't comfortable teaching at home. I know there were classes that I did not want to teach at all and I was going to outsource, so why not do it through the local community college for me is for free. Another thing is you can explore potential careers. They're able to take a variety of classes that may help in deciding a major or career path later without feeling locked into a major right away. Sometimes that pressure whenever you're a freshman in a four-year university and they're saying, what's your major? And that's, they don't know. Right, because didn't Riley start out like kind of on a different path? Like I know she did a lot of computer programming. Yeah, and she did. So it's great that she could discover that like while she was there. And then by the time she got to college, she had fine-tuned what she wanted. Yeah, on a pre-med track. She loves it. Yeah. Dual credit from regionally accredited institutions also has the highest level of transferability and acceptance. So these credits result in an actual letter grade on a college transcript. Another thing is it helps them gain independence and confidence. If you've always been their only teacher or they have not had many teachers outside of you, being in charge of their own classes and coursework can be a great way for them to see that they really do have the skills and abilities that you always told them that they did have. It's always better sounding coming from someone else other than mom. (laughs) Right? (laughs) That is the truth. So there are some possible cons of dual credit. One of the big ones would be that it is potentially difficult to transfer credits. As we mentioned above, some colleges prefer credits to come from their school, or they may have a limit on the number of credits allowed to transfer. Um, Sometimes they also don't know how to apply certain classes and they may put them all as electives. This happened to one of our friends and they applied all of the transfer credits to electives and that child ended up having to take all higher level coursework like from the get-go and it was pretty intense and they didn't have an elective to kind of break up like all these hard rigorous courses. So we tried to combat that by like focusing on taking core coursework knowing that that was the most likely that was going to transfer. 
Another drawback could be the cost. Potentially they could be up to $400 per class depending on your state and that might not even include books. If you don't have access to free programming, dual credit prices can range quite a bit. Luckily here in Dallas County at Dallas College, it's free for those that reside here. But yeah, a lot of places that's not the case. Yep. Another con is interaction with classmates. Community college is made up of a variety of people of all ages. My son's very first class, he was the only kid. Like it, it was not even just adults, like 20 year olds, like it was adult adults, like our age. <laughs> so your child could be sitting in a class full of adults and they may end up working on group projects with adults. We had a ton. My kids had a ton of group projects in community right. college that they've not done in actual university. I actually like that part of it, though. I I love them interacting and being a part of that. Of course, the content is not going to be dumbed down. A lot of times the professor won't even know that your child is a dual credit student, that you are a high school student. And a lot of times some of our kids do look and act older. So my 15 year old right now is, yeah, he's interacting with some college girls. I'm like, uh uh-uh, no, no, no. Right. (laughs) I remember our friend Chauncey said that with her son. He had made a lot of friends and she's like, you know, you guys can't hang out. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're they're adults and you're a kid and that's not going to (laughs) happen. Yeah, another drawback might be the loss of flexibility. I know that was a drawback for me. And gone are the days of taking nice weather days off. I loved waking up and saying, okay, kids, no school today. And that power is no longer yours. You'll have more of a traditional schedule with dual credit coursework because, you know, they're on a timeline. But you know what? You can be flexible with that, too, by choosing shorter classes or choosing a course that works within the time that you want to take a vacation or take off. Right. You are going to want to make sure that your student is indeed ready for the course load and the content. And you had kind of touched on this, but the introduction to mature topics, um, instructors typically do not know and they don't care that your student is a child. So if you subscribe to a particular worldview or you wish that your child not be exposed to certain content, you might want to wait on college coursework or choose a school that aligns with your belief system. Another drawback could be that if they don't make a good grade, This is on your permanent record. All the classes that are taken for dual credit are on your permanent record. There's one instance that it's not, but sometimes you can retake a class and sub out the grade, but some schools also have limits on how many times you can do this. The ASU Universal Learner Program is a great option. It's only a $25 enrollment fee per course, and then if you want the course to be a credit applied on your transcript, then it's an additional $400. So it's it's kind of like a freebie right there. Yeah, it's a great way to test it out but then also if you do get a great grade and you want to keep it you right. pay for it also another drawback is that your student is in charge of all the communication we had uh, we kind of have this in both categories as a pro and a con so outside of financial and advising situations in which you sign a FERPA I don't remember what FERPA stands for but right. you sign it to uh, allow uh, you to have access to like your kids grades and stuff um, your student is going to be the point of contact with the school and with the professor that means they get the emails so make sure they forward those to you if you need to know things. Or, <laughs> and or be like me and actually have logged in on your children's oh, on your email <laughs> on your phone. So you can see it. That's smart. That would have saved me a, uh, a weird hiccup one time. But they're also the ones who are going to ask questions or communicate with the professor to know that they'll be late to class. And this can sometimes be hard to watch from the sidelines, especially if your student is struggling. Mom can't march into class. Well, and this is one little tip that I'd like to give right now because I start on an 
online course so I can sort of oversee from the sidelines because sometimes when they go to class and the professor says something, you have no idea. You're at home. You don't know what they're saying. Right. But online, all the communication you can read through and help guide your students. So I am a huge proponent of starting online to kind of bridge to teach them how to communicate with their professor. That's a really good idea. So how do you determine their readiness? So aside from the things we listed from about readiness and maturity, and aside from being able to pass a placement exam, here are some of the skills that your student will benefit from having before they begin a dual credit course. So what are Yeah, they? well, one of those is note-taking. Your student should have a general understanding of just basic note-taking. And they also might need like a digital notepad or a laptop or some kind of upgraded system for this, like time to, time to get their own laptop, not share the families. Another thing would be time management. Students need to be able to map out daily tasks in order to accomplish all of their high school and college work. And this is great that you'll be able to help guide them. You should encourage them to find a system that works for them. So what, whatever works for you may not be their ideal system. Right. So be you know flexible on whatever works for them. <laughs> They should understand deadlines. A dual enrolled student should understand the consequences and they should care enough to get work done on time. Uh, They need to learn not to wait until the last minute Mm -hmm. to start long projects. Sometimes this is a skill that is learned after making a mistake about that. Um, (laughs) I think my 19-year-old in college is still working on this one. (laughs) Oh, goodness. It's a hard one, especially if you're like me. My son is, too. We work best under pressure and (laughs) catastrophic consequences. So, (laughs) but yeah, the kids need to know not to wait till the last minute to start a long project. They need to make sure that they have all their supplies and materials, that they need to complete it well before the due date. No last-minute runs to CVS the night before to get a post board. That's true. They also need to have basic writing skills. They're necessary for many dual credit courses. Knowing how to conduct basic academic research will also be a benefit. We did find that the community college composition classes, they taught them a lot about this information and now they make them take the EDUC 1300, which is like a learning framework, which kind of teaches them study skills. I don't know if other colleges are doing this right now, but ours is requiring it. My oldest didn't have to, but my 15 year old in dual credit courses. Yeah, my oldest, my older two did not have to take it, but my my younger one's actually really excited to do that one. She's uh, chomping at the bit to do it this summer. Yeah, she'll do really great. She'll do really great. Yeah, I think she's excited about it. Your students also need to be open to instruction. They need to be able to take instruction from others and work well in a group. And that's, you know, something you sometimes don't know if they've always just been at home with you. So just a reminder that this is a weekly episode. We drop one every Thursday morning just for you. And if you have any additional ideas or comments, please come and comment on our Facebook page on the episode thread or send us an email at info at btdthomeschool.com. We'd really love to hear from you. So now let's talk about AP classes and exams. Well, when we discuss transcripts and weighing your GPA, we mentioned that many people give a full point extra to both dual credit and AP coursework. So let's define what AP coursework is. Advanced placement classes are college level courses which expose high school students to the rigor of college work. 
Traditionally, APs were used to accumulate college credit, which lessened the cost and the time spent on lower level college courses. While this may still be true, some elective institutions are pickier about accepting these for credit. These days, most students are taking AP classes and exams so they can be competitive with other applicants. Some traditional school students are taking anywhere from five to 10 AP courses in high school. AP classes and tests are heavily promoted and offered in public schools, and a lot of times the Ivy Leagues require them to show that rigor. Right. But homeschooled students can also take the AP exam after completing appropriate academic courses. Uh, Most homeschool students would probably take an AP class online, and the cost of AP classes varies dramatically. You might be able to get free AP classes through your state or other sources, or you might need to pay tuition of like $100 to $250 either per class or per month. These classes are rigorous and time intensive. They may require a minimum of five to 10 hours per week for an entire school year. And they really are meant to prepare students for the AP exam. And the AP exam is usually taken following the completion of an AP course. And the test was created as a way for competitive students to get a head start on those college courses. The exams are offered by the college board, that's the makers of the SAT and the CSS profile. They are offered only one time a year in May, and there are currently 38 exams in a variety of subjects from which you can choose. And students don't technically have to complete an AP course in order to take the AP exam. These exams cost $97, and they grade students' mastery of the subject on a scale of 1 to 5. So AP works by counting the class toward a high school transcript, and then the results of the exam toward potential college credit. So like dual credit, AP classes and tests lend legitimacy to your transcript, and they prove that your student is capable of higher level work. A high score on an AP exam may earn credit for specific college courses. Yeah, and typically a score of three or higher is considered passing and recommendation for college credit, but universities can be especially picky when it comes to awarding credit for AP exams. So like we talked about with dual credit, it's important to know whether or not your student will actually earn viable, transferable college credit before taking any AP tests and courses, and you may want to consider that before making any significant time and money commitments to that. Yep. So here's some advantages of AP classes and AP exams. They are good for students who need a lot of test prep and it can be a chance to study more for a favorite subject. Yeah and students can also be awarded weighted high school credit for AP courses and they may earn college credit for AP exam scores. Right. Students like we said students can take an AP test without taking the AP course. It's not really recommended because obviously it's a study prep (laughs) kind of program. Online AP classes are also available for free in some states or for $100 to $250 per course or per month. They can also really challenge your student academically. Another thing is it backs up homeschool grades and it lends legitimacy to your transcript. You can also help make your student competitive with other applicants and comparable to other students on it like a national standardized test level. You can also prepare for college level work and taking difficult tests. It prepares you for that. And it also increases your chances at merit aid. Mm -hmm. And if offered credit, it eliminates the need of taking lower level classes when you do go to college. 
And it also can be a money saver if credits are offered. Uh, approximately 85% of colleges accept AP exams for credit. So that's something to consider. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. So let's talk about the cons to AP. Whether or not a student is awarded that credit depends on their desired school and their grade system. So some schools might say, you know, we talked about they are graded on a one to five and a three is passing. But sometimes the school only offers you credit if you have a five. Yeah. So, you know, you can take that test and it not have counted for anything. Another thing is, is it's really time consuming. AP classes are really time intensive and rigorous. Cost and availability of classes might be another con. It can be hard to find AP courses and they might be expensive. Yep. Another con is that a single exam score determines your credit potential. Like I just said, if they only accept fives and you got a three, sorry. Tests can also be hard to find. Uh, Parents and students cannot order AP exams directly. So students who are home homeschooled or independent study or attend virtual schools or schools that don't administer AP exams need to find a school where they can test. Uh, The AP program encourages AP coordinators to help these students and you can look through the AP course ledger online which we'll link in the uh, show notes here for schools that offer the test and then you have to also then contact the school find out if they allow homeschoolers to test and order the tests before the deadline of November 15th. If AP scores are more than four years old, they have been archived and they may no longer be viewable online. You'll need to request scores to be sent to schools via email or fax. fax. Snail mail. Who has fax nowadays? <laughs> oh gosh, I don't know. There used to be only one online provider for APs. Now there are many more options. We're going to list a bunch of these in our show notes. Um, Pennsylvania Homeschoolers has a ton. Uh, The John Hopkins Center for Talented Youth. The Potter's School. Blue Tent. There's also Derek Owens, Lukian Project, Adhesive. And remember, you can take an approved class without taking the exam. Some students may want to be challenged academically, but not necessarily want the stress of taking that exam. AP coursework allows more independence in their studies and can offer a variety of learning experiences and formats. There are so many options for classes that utilize a variety of resources when teaching their students, including lectures, discussions, visual aids, and virtual PowerPoints. Yeah, and that's important because when they get to when they get to college, they're going to have classes in all kinds of different formats too. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, if you've only homeschooled a certain way, it's a great way to introduce them to some of that other stuff. Likewise, you can self-study for the exam without taking the actual class. Uh, There are tons of resources that can support your homeschooler while studying for the test, from books to online programs. There's resources like Coursera and edX and Khan Academy. There's practice tests through the College Board that are free and accessible to all. You can also look at the guidelines or the syllabus for a class online to understand what to study for. There's also AP tutors and teachers out there that offer classes, or some of them have their own websites and YouTube and just offer all kinds of free content for studying. And lastly, you as the homeschool parent have the same opportunity to create your own AP course and get it approved by the College Board. How cool is that? Yeah. Check out the College Board's page for the AP course audit process. If you are all about recreating the wheel or if you just really enjoy cultivating your own curricula experience, go crazy. I know that that (laughs) would probably define a lot of homeschoolers, I know. It does. It's not me. I'm not doing that but um, 
you guys can do it. But let's also touch on honors really quickly. We didn't actually have this as part of our thing, but we realized after the fact that we throw honors in here as well. Honors courses are advanced course designations that are often referenced by homeschool parents. And unfortunately, it's also the most subjective. An honors level homeschool high school course should be similar in rigor to an AP course. However, the title AP or advanced placement can only be used by courses that are specifically approved by the college board. They own that designation. Honor level courses should be highly rigorous and require a lot of work. This may be worth it for teens who are applying to competitive private or state colleges. Right, and traditionally honors courses show uh, more advanced work with in-depth thinking. And um, some things to know about honors courses is that they're not really equivalent to college level work. They are a good option for highly motivated or independent students. And there's no real required standards to meet for an honors course. It is expected that honors courses have more hours than traditional courses. We talked about that in our core classes episode. And they typically would receive a half credit additional on a weighted transcript. We will include some of the links and ideas and everything that we're talking about on our show notes on our website. So be sure to check that out after you listen. So now we're going to talk about CLEP and DSST. CLEP and DSST are both credit by exam programs. Right. The DSST credit by exam program, formerly known as the Dante's Subject Standardized Test, it's for civilians and military personnel seeking college credit based on knowledge acquired outside of the classroom setting. Sometimes that would be from work, from military experience, and or personal studies. Yep. DSST exams are multiple choice. They're pass-fail tests, and they mostly cover general education topics. But they also have more technical or work topics, like I saw um, human resources, cybersecurity, management information service, etc. There were all kinds of really cool classes. And I'm going to link to the DSST website. Over 1,500 colleges and universities recognize the DSST program and they may offer credit for those. There are over 30 exams and tests that can be taken in a variety of test centers. Yeah, and it's something you don't even need to schedule in advance. Like a lot of them are walk-in and you just pay for it there. Yeah, they're actually pretty cool. I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff on there Um, because anybody can take it, adults like anyone. So CLEP stands for College Level Examination Program. And this is a group of tests offered by the College Board. Again, that's the folks that do SAT and uh, the CSS profile. The purpose of these exams is to help people earn college credit for topics that they already know. Therefore, students can earn college credit by passing a CLEP test. And the main difference between CLEP and DSST and AP exams is that there's no official preparatory class. Like students are going to learn the material covered on the exam on their own. CLEP tests are multiple choice questions given online at one of 2,000 testing centers. And CLEP test centers can be located at colleges and universities. They can also be at independent testing organizations, even military bases, and also high schools. You can also take a CLEP test online with a digital proctor. The tests take about 90 minutes to two hours to complete, and scores are usually available immediately. That's nice. CLEP offers 34 exams that cover introductory level college course material, and with a passing score, which is over 50, I think it's 50 to 80 is the uh, passing grades, on one CLEP exam, you could earn three or more college credits at 2,900 U.S. colleges and universities. 
CLIP exams are offered in four topic areas. There's history and social sciences, there's composition and literature, science and mathematics, and world languages. Yes, and we're not going to read off every course here, but we will include the list in the show notes. There's an awful lot of variety in and what you can... a lot of them can... are your core classes for high school. Uh, they really are. There, there was a lot there. And uh, like I was saying, DSST and CLEP are not exclusively for incoming college students because they may allow students to earn credit for skills and knowledge that they may have learned during like military service or an internship or individual studies. Adult students and military personnel may take these exams too. CLEP is also offered year-round, which is really nice. The test costs about $89. A DSST exam costs $85, plus any registration or any practice materials for both of these, which makes both of these pretty affordable and convenient ways to earn dual credit. Right, and there's a lot of pros for using credit by exam. The first would be they're available for most general education classes, which is nice because that's exactly you're trying to get that high school core out of the way. Knocked out. It's great for strong test takers. It's great for self-motivated students with strong study skills. Another thing is that the pass-fail exams can always be retaken. It's also backed by ACE accreditation, which is transferable to hundreds of colleges and universities. Other pros are that uh, credit by exam is affordable. Uh, Most exams can earn three college credits per exam. It also helps avoid core level courses when you're in college. You can also start as young as 13 years old. Nice. Uh, You can continue CLEP through college. Yeah, I see that on my kids' college boards. Sometimes somebody will opt to CLEP a class that they need to take for the next next semester. So that's nice. There's also uh, minimal prep time and there's not a grade assigned. Some of the cons of credit by exam are the cost. A study guide might be $25 or more. If you fail a CLEP, you have to wait three months before you can retake the exam. Right, and not all colleges accept credit by exam. So CLEP, approximately 76% of colleges accept. Uh, The DSST is uh, quite a bit lower. Only 50% of colleges accept DSST credits. Both of these tests are backed by ACE. That's the American Council of Education Accreditation. ACE is a third-party credit evaluator that evaluates all types of learning that happens outside of college. And it's actually not guaranteed credit. Instead, you earn an ACE recommendation for credit. It's always up to the university how much or if any ACE credit they'll allow to transfer in. And so speaking of ACE, there's also some subscription-based learning platforms that offer ACE credit. You may have heard some of these non-college course providers like Study.com, Sophia, Straighterline, Sailor Academy. These advertise these kinds of college credits. And some certifications and licenses are also ACE credits, by the way. ACE credit traditionally does not transfer well. Mm -hmm. They advertise that there are over 1,500 colleges that consider ACE credit. But really, this credit should only be used when you plan to use one of their partner colleges so you need to look into that if that's where you're going to go for sure well woo that was a ton of information about college credits and testing (laughs) I'm exhausted (laughs) I know it can be overwhelming to sort through all of this one of the very best resources that we recommend for this though is homeschooling for college credit it's a website and it's a book by Jennifer Cook DeRosa we've mentioned her and her sources several times Um, and she also has state specific resource pages I practically live on our Texas one. Such a great resource. Yeah, I think she, I I was reading something yesterday that 
she has like 60 different groups dedicated to this and she and her incredible staff of moderators and admins are constantly putting additional work in to make sure that they provide the best and most current resources for homeschoolers so be sure to check out her website in our show notes read her book look for your state group on facebook like we have we have a friend who's a moderator and the other day she was supposed to be doing something else and um, she ended up doing this entire spreadsheet on how to like cash flow your whole college career to this one school oh wow yeah it, it was fascinating but yeah a super super awesome resource All right, so tune in next week for episode 28, How to Keep Learning Fun. My child hates writing, so how do I make that fun? What are the best learning games? And how do you break up the monotony of mid-semester? We're (laughs) going to be talking about all of that and more. And more. Great. We'll see you next week. Bye. Cheers. Be sure to check us out on our website at btdthomeschool.com, as in been there, done that, btdthomeschool.com. You can join our mailing list and get news and updates on future podcasts. And be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at the BTDT Been There, Done That Homeschool Podcast.